2: My name is
3: Ariel Kestenbaum, and I am the founder of Fair Meals, a 501c3 status nonprofit that focuses on easy, healthy, and affordable meal solutions for families of all walks of life. On our website, fairmeals.org, you can find free of charge tons of tips, tricks, and recipes that encompass our three pillars of health, ease, and affordability. To help continue to make our
2: programming the best it can be, please consider donating to this amazing initiative at fairmeals.org forward slash donate.
3: All right. What arrived with John Schneider out in Seattle. As you can tell, again, very, very popular. Has a lot of strong opinions, and it's just a real all-around great guy. So thanks, John. Really appreciate that. As we do, we crisscross the country. And we're back out to Cleveland to spend some time in my hometown with, you know, someone that I have a lot of respect for.
1: Welcome to the GM Journey with Thomas Dimitrov.
3: He's young in the business at the core. Andrew Berry, the GM from the Browns, really well rounded, very, very intelligent, a Harvard grad. He spent some time under our friend Howie Roseman at Philadelphia, who really honed his skills as a football man. And he brought all of that together with his really good understanding of, you know, quantifying football players and an organization and roster optimization. You'll get a really quick uh, glimpse and then you'll realize quickly that you have someone like Andrew in this business that needs to be in this business as well evolved be into being much more than just a whole bunch of football people. The league is going this way and Andrew's on the front end of it all and you'll see why he is a special addition to the GM ranks. Here we are Brie Ohio Cleveland Browns facility with the general manager Andrew Berry one of the most impressive young executives in sport. Andrew, thanks for joining me. I really, really appreciate uh, it.
1: Thomas, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Uh,
3: this is this is great. I've been thinking about it. Honestly, you and I have been talking for a while to try to map this out. Yes. And I know it's really complicated for everyone trying to put their, their worlds together. And I feel like I've been there for a number of years, of course, and now I'm freewheeling and flying around. And <laughs> people are probably like, well, Tia, we don't all have as much time as you have now. So let's, let's jump into this. You are historically the youngest general manager in the history
1: of the National Football League.
3: When did you first think that you wanted to be a general manager in this league?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it actually came pretty early in my career. Um, you know, The way I got into the NFL, I feel like I was very, you know, fortunate and really kind of stumbled into it. So, um, played college football was a college corner. My first boss in the NFL was Tom Telesco, who's obviously the general manager of the Chargers. Uh, was the scouting director for the Colts at the time. And he had gone, had made a trip to the Northeast, stop at BC, a stop at Harvard. You know, we had a pretty good group there and got familiar with my background. Now, as a prospect, I was just this like, you know, fringe, you know, fringe type of guy. And um, Tom reached out after I was done playing and just was basically like, hey, if you have an interest in working in a front office and scouting in particular, I think you'd be a really good fit. We have a scouting assistant position open. We'd love to have you come interview for it and that was really the first time that i thought about getting in the nfl like i I just i had no idea that those type of jobs existed Mm -hmm. and so i went through the interview process learned more about the profession and was fortunate enough to start under some really great um for an office executives with you know bill polian chris polian you know tom Mm -hmm. and it probably became you know during probably my first two years in the league once i once i saw football from that perspective a non-playing perspective and it was like oh wow this is pretty cool because that's at the intersection of a lot of things that i like right the sport itself um and the economics of the sport like putting together a roster all the, the strategy behind that it's probably at that point that I was like man i think this is something that i'd really like to do
3: well i mean obviously you jump in you're you're around some amazing football people mm-hmm. i think back and i look at in your 34 years right yeah. 34 yes. years yeah. like i'm just amazed i think it's amazing you carry yourself so well And uh, everyone wants to be looking longer, younger, and you do look younger, of course, but (laughs) for now, but for for now, now, believe me. Yeah, no, for now. So you've been around some amazing executives, I think, uh, at a lot of levels, different teams, etc. As a middle management person and growing and Mm -hmm. watching closely, I'm sure, uh, at at a lot of levels. So one in particular, I really want to know what leadership principles that you really walked away with after your time with howie roseman
1: yeah no howie the year i spent in philly was probably um if not the most influential year of my career it's probably one of you know one of the top two and for me the biggest takeaway that i got for howie is how he led through adversity because you know as you know thomas like philly's a very tough market it was a year where we went to the playoffs but again as you know every year has its ups and downs whether you're 13 and three or, or three and 13 mm-hmm. and it was a real struggle and you know how we you know how we would always kind of make two points if we came in um, after a major injury or maybe like a really bad loss you know how the how the the local media can be all over you it can be a little bit of a, a tough monday in the building yes howie whenever you see him he is always positive it's positive energy positive energy positive energy and regardless of how if he may have, he may be having to, to, to pump himself up, you know, internally before he comes in. But he's just always like, look, everybody is going to look to their leadership group in terms of how to behave or how to navigate whether it's a major crisis or short term adversity. And the second thing he did is he's like, his routine, win or loss, was always the same, like, like throughout, throughout the week. It was never. He was never a different person or, you know, a different individual, regardless of what was going on. And that's something that made such a strong impression on me because when in some weeks it feels like the sky is falling outside Mm -hmm. the building, there's this, there's this stability, calm, forward thinking positive energy that he would exude and that would really permeate the rest of the building. And everyone's like, okay, like, Hey, what happened this weekend was, was bad or what happened yesterday was bad, but we're forward focused. We're going to find a solution and we're going to get through. And that's something that I've at least tried to employ in my short time on the job.
3: I mean, that's a great point. I mean, I think generationally speaking, I feel like way back in those early years when I was in in the NFL, there was a lot of, you know, keeping people on their toes, right? I don't truly, and I say this with all due respect, I don't believe that flies the same way with maybe our generations as much. I,
1: I, I think you're right, Thomas, because... Sure, There's always it's always important to maybe have a little bit of, um, I don't know if tension's the right word, but like you, you want leaders that are, that are demanding, but the idea that people should be walking on end shells are always uncomfortable. It's, I don't think it's good for organizational culture, and quite honestly, it's not good for employees' mental health as well.
3: Yes, well, so, I mean, and that's something we'll talk about a little yeah. bit later. It's, it's a great point. If you were to classify your leadership style over these first two years, as a general manager and your years earlier, you know, in, in the middle management area, how
1: would you classify that? I've really tried to, um, you know, employ the model of servant leadership and, uh, a big reason why is, um, you know, my first head coach I worked for in the NFL was, was Jim Caldwell, mm-hmm. a strong man of faith. Right. Um, Indianapolis had really the culture that Tony Dungy established. And then, you know, Jim, Jim Caldwell continued to, to carry forward made an incredible, impression on me. And then quite honestly, when Chuck Pagano got hired um, and really, you know, different personality, but had the same approach. And we had the year where, you know, Chuck had, you know, Chuck had cancer, missed a big part of the season. We were, right. you know, we had been the worst in the league the year before. And everybody really em- em- embodied that attitude about like, hey, you know, team before self, like everyone can be a, a leader in their role because they serve their, their teammates and, yeah. Um, the broader organization it just had such a huge impact on me um, in terms of just how awesome that season was and quite honestly how awesome that that working environment was so that's something that I've, I've always tried to, to carry forward and something that I really believe in and I'll say I feel very fortunate that I have a head coach who independently you know has said like that's that's his philosophy as well um, and that makes it really easy to to, to, to uh execute here in Cleveland?
3: So I often think about when you have a really strong GM and a really strong head coach who have really definitive styles, yeah. and they may be different. Yeah. It becomes complicated. Yes. I'm not saying you should be the same, but it is nice when you come into a setting, and I was very fortunate with Mike Smith mm-hmm. in, the, in the first few years, seven years in Atlanta, and then you know going with, with Dan Definitely. Quinn all the way to, to the point of firing in this past October. <laughs> we had really good relationships and we had a lot of consistencies mm-hmm. that I thought were really important for us to make sure that we were, you know, sort of disseminating the right messages mm-hmm. around the building. That was big. It doesn't have to be the same, of oh. course. So you've again, been around a lot of really interesting, talented people on the, on the football side. You've had some ups and some downs yeah. as far as the organizations that you've worked with yeah. during those times. Um, is there a major lesson that you learned through the ups and the downs and and maybe you don't have to go into specifics, but focusing on you know some of those tough, challenging yeah. times.
1: Yeah, and I think it's actually the the biggest lesson that I drew from probably the greatest moments of adversity, which have been my biggest learning stretches throughout my career, is really what you touched on, you know, just a few minutes ago, like the idea of alignment. Um, what I've seen at quite honestly, very you know, various stops, the places where we've had the most success, people have been on the same page with both football philosophy and how people are going to work together on a day-to-day basis in football operation. That doesn't mean that people always agree, but there's 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 just a pretty clear philosophy, hey, this is how we operate, and this is how we believe in winning. When things haven't gone as well, and whether it's both results on the field or probably, quite honestly, the thing that hurts the most is just how things maybe went in the building and how relationships deteriorated. And it made it difficult for really just everyone involved. It's been this this misalignment of both football philosophy, how people treat each other, and how people work together.
3: I often say, you know, this this league has so many talented people and so many intelligent people. Sometimes we tap into it. Other times, unfortunately, we don't. They just don't get an opportunity to really shine and and be able to, you know, really talk about what they know uh, and contribute to the organizations. I'm a big believer in that. I'm also a big believer in everyone has a little bit of a, um, what I call a pigeonhole, right? We all, you know, one guy would rather be in the mountains, snowboarding and mountain biking, (laughs) I used to get that. Whatever it may be, I have always believed that as long as your pigeonhole isn't full of crap, meaning as long as you're not a BS person in this league, you have a legit opportunity to work through the tough times and the challenges and continue to grow and evolve and be the best leader that you can be within the NFL. But again, if you're if you're a guy that's slinging it, yeah. it's just not, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. So I, I think it's so important when we see that within organizations. I know personally, when I saw that over the years as a general manager, it was a major red flag for me. I'm a big believer in positive, passionate, and persevering mm-hmm. people. I know it's again, contrived alliteration, I guess you could say, but I believe in those three aspects because I think they're so important. Yes, of course you need intelligence. Yes, of course, you need, you know, mm-hmm. drive, et cetera, et cetera. But when when people are truly focused and they're really putting their best foot forward in those three areas, I think I think we all have a fighting chance. So um, Thomas, let
1: me ask you this yeah. when because we all make mistakes, right? Like we like to think that we all bat a thousand. But maybe when you had a situation, you know, in in Atlanta or even in your previous stops where it's like, I, you know what? this person was misaligned and maybe it does creep to the surface where there are problems. How did, how did you handle that as, a, as a, either a general manager or a high-level executive?
3: So I, I've always taken a lot of pride in my awareness. I'm a mm-hmm. big believer in awareness, right? I mean, I, th- I think it's important for you as a general manager and me as a former general manager to know your building, to know your staff, mm-hmm. to, to know everyone's, you know, the positives, of course, mm-hmm. but also know where their challenges are, where their idiosyncrasies are and make sure we're tracking and monitoring properly from a general manager position. I'm a big believer in making sure that I try to help that person correct what may be some of their shortcomings Mm -hmm. and challenges. And I am a big believer, it's not one strike and you're out. Mm -hmm. I'm a believer in working on it. But I think we all know when you really start working on it with those people who are coming up short and they are just not a team fit, that it's time to move on. And I've, I've had occurrences over the years. Sometimes it's been long and drawn out and other times it's been fairly quick. I will also say, but there have also been times along the way where I truly believed that I needed to make a change Mm -hmm. and I didn't. And it ended up being really dusty and it ended up being a situation that I'm not a big believer in just slashing and burning people at all. But I realized over this, this many years in this league that when those mistakes came seemed to be when I was dragging my feet, thinking, I know this person needs to go. It's just not a good fit. They're very talented and very mm-hmm. intelligent, but it's not for this organization. And I hung on. Sometimes, by the way, I'll admit, it was of my own volition. Mm-hmm. There are other times it wasn't. Sometimes, look, the way we look at it, there could be a contractual yep. issue. And this yep. isn't just players. This yep. is coaches. Yep. This is young administrators or scouts or personnel people. Sometimes you have a number of different layers in there that are complicated. It's a great question. And thanks for asking that, because, you know, too many times we think it's going to be easy. Right. We know this it's cut and dry. It's not that way all the time. And sometimes, unfortunately, you're losing a very talented person, at least from a football ops standpoint, where
1: you're like, wow, I think that's probably one of my biggest learnings over probably even the last five or six years in my career the fact that I, I really used to go into a thing. It's like, Hey, it's all about talent. We'll, we'll figure out a way it'll, it'll work it out. Like the talent, like everyone doesn't always have to be, you know, best friends, which, you know, which is still true. But when you get into a situation where either misaligned or even worse, maybe an individual lacks integrity, it's just so damaging for the organization. It always just feels like such a force. And I've learned that I probably I definitely overweighted that earlier in my career and didn't pay enough attention to the overall organizational fit.
3: Well, you you have, speaking of fit, Mm -hmm. you have a really good understanding of how you want your organization and football Mm -hmm. ops to to fall into place. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about the people that you hire and the people that you surround Mm -hmm. yourself with. Again, I'd mentioned earlier, uh, when we were talking a little bit about the the academic side to your your approach, mm-hmm. which I have a great deal of respect for. I think the the meathead just trudge forward thing is not mm-hmm. something that I'm a big fan of in the mm-hmm. National Football League. I think there is so much there to add to the league at so many levels into an organization that I think that you you come strong into this league with as a general manager now going into your second year. You've surrounded yourself with some really talented people. Tell me a little bit about, your approach to that process and without going into a ton of detail about who, but how did you come up with the idea that you have right now with the, the, the mix of people you have around you?
1: So I think it's a couple different things. I think, you know, my belief is that like, ultimately we want to be geared to optimal decision-making because that'll, that'll lead to success. Well, if you kind of, if you kind of work backwards, like what are some of the pitfalls of decision-making where, if you have maybe too narrow too narrow a perspective, or not not enough voices at the table, or maybe perhaps even not the right voices or right expertise at the table, I think the second thing is looking at how other successful organizations, whether it's in tech or financial services or other sports like in you know baseball, basketball, hockey, um, you know you name it, really how they how they build their organizations and then really what skills they bring to the table. So our philosophy here has largely been all right, we want a diverse number of people and perspectives that have a legitimacy at the table because they'll help us to minimize the decision makers, whether it's me or Kevin or, you know, a decision maker in another area of football operations, you know, our own personal biases. It helps us get the right information to the table and it helps us get, you know, deeper insights. Because, you know, one of the things that I thought, like maybe kind of coming up a little bit more the traditional way is, at times when we were making decisions, it was like everybody had the same background, had the same perspectives, the same experiences. And and times like when we made mistakes, I was thinking, well, you know what, shoot, if we had this alternative viewpoint, that would have actually been really healthy at the time that we made made this decision. So that always made an impression on me Um, earlier in my NFL career, where I wanna make sure that I surround myself with people who have different experiences, different ways of thinking, All with the same goal, but it allows us to push, it allows me to push myself, push our assumptions to hopefully you know make the make the best calls for the actual team. At
0: Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
3: i continue to refer to it you know just having a really holistic and smart approach mm-hmm. speaking of smart approaches where are you with regard to emerging technology mm-hmm. with regard to analytics and 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 high performance and I'm, I'm grouping them all together you can touch on any of them or all of them yeah. but i'm interested because yeah. not only are you a, a very intelligent young man i say young i'm saying that <laughs> respectfully because i can't believe we're 20 years difference mm-hmm. My god gotta let this go i know mm-hmm. um but you have you have your wise beyond your years of course but i would love to hear your your take on that and the direction we're going
1: yeah so i'll start I'll, I'll touch on each individually okay. so i'll start with with analytics and you know for us it's just, it's just data like we think that that's an area that has been proven across industries across sports um as an area that allows us to have a competitive advantage if you're at the forefront and, and do, it, do it right. I think there are really three three main ways that you can get advantage of it. First is what I'll call informational. So, right, the idea is if you have higher quality data than your, than your competitors, like that's gonna drive insights better for you. Mm-hmm. The second, which I think probably the league as a whole focuses more on, is the actual analysis of that data, right? If you get the best quantitative minds, if you get the people who have like the strongest technical skills to, analyze the data that you have, you know, you are going to be better off than your competitors. I think the third area, though, is in the decision making realm. So let's say you have the best data, you have the best analysts, but it only gets to a certain point where it doesn't actually inform your decisions, mm-hmm. then it's, it's probably all, all for nothing. So we're, we are, are hyper conscious of being at the forefront of making sure that we can acquire and manufacture the best data. Have the best, you know, have the best analysts, and then ultimately that it, it legitimately influences um, our decision making all across football operations. Um, in terms of the performance space, you know, I think this is something that you and I have talked about a lot. You see the impact that true player de- development and a focus on um, you know our players, you know, physical uh, development. Uh, can have on can have on a sport especially in, especially in our sport because it is so physically demanding and we see the impact that a focus on high performance has had in rugby soccer baseball is probably the prime you know american yes. example you know basketball and probably in the nfl we're a little bit you know further you know further behind in that regard so it's it's definitely an area that that we've invested you know pretty you know pretty heavily in um and i think it just touches touch so many areas whether it's um, you know, physical de- development with, with you know nutrition or uh, mobility or strength or skill development with your coaches, or using um, you know data on performance data on hand to making to for injury prevention or you know um, optimizing when our players have peak performance. I think it's an area where you know I'll be truthful. I don't know that every, anybody has like a a magic solution, so to speak, and it's something that we're still working through, but. Much like in the MLB, I think the teams that you know do it best first are going to have a major advantage because look, think about how much time and money we spend on acquiring players, and then once they're you know once they're in our programs, like there should be a strong investment in development as well, and that's that's something that we we always want to be focused on. In terms of the emerging technology space, I always think that's a little bit tricky. So we actually do have a group that is. Um, specifically geared toward emerging technologies because we want to keep our thumb on the on the pulse, um, you know, of of of, uh, of innovation in that space. Uh, I think nowadays there's so much out there and it's a little bit about figuring out two things. Number one, what is relevant for us or like for, for both your sport and your individual team, I think. And I think the second piece is um, how far along is it in its development? Because I think there are a number of interesting things that have applications, but then are they actually usable at a particular point in time? And then probably the third element is, will there be enough buy-in for the technology? Because you know I have been a part of um, you know, organizations where at times we've invested in a technology, and it really is, it's far enough along. It has a very clear impact in terms of how it can um, help improve our team. but. If there's not buy-in for the use, it's no different than what I talked about with the analytics side, where you can have good information, you can have good analysts, but it doesn't actually inform decision-making, then you're pretty much at, at ground zero.
3: So all of those are great and, and 100% on board with it. One of the interesting things is selling to your owners, yeah. so to speak, how important it is, mm-hmm. right? And also the reality is that a lot of the technology you may bring to the table, you may have for one or two years, yeah. and and then there's something new coming yeah. along and understanding, and, and I would say most of the owners who are really strong, yeah. stout businessmen understand yeah. that you're not grabbing a piece of technology and riding it for 10 years. Right. That, that's part of it, right? We're yes. investing and you're going to be investing in that. I'm a big believer in being on the front end of the curve, um, not always at the very front end, right. but I do believe a lot of it. And sometimes it works in our favor and other times not. It's, I, I love your approach to it, and I think it's really important in the very end. My own personal feeling is always making sure that you are edifying, I would say, the owner mm-hmm. and you know, his designee, whoever that may be, and making sure that it's not a joke on the other side of the building. Yeah. Like, oh, there's TD again looking yeah. for a new edge to differentiate because I am a big believer. You mm-hmm. and I have to differentiate. Yeah. We have to differentiate not only in our abilities as general managers, but also within your building, how are you going to create things that are going to, of course, create that that
1: marginal difference yeah. that can be different? I'm, I'm going to quote I'm going to quote Howie Roseman here again. He's always said that the NFL is designed to be a bell curve, right, where, you know, every team starts off with the same resources, whether it's cap dollars, picks, like if you're if you're good there, there are um, disincentives with your resources moving forward because you're good. If you're bad, there are incentives with your resources because you're bad. The idea with bringing everybody to the middle, but like our jobs are to make sure that the team gets to the, the the top end of the tail, right? You want to be one at the end of the day, you want to be the the small handful of teams that are, you know, playing late into the season. Well, in order to do that, um, you do have to do things, some things differently and, and, and take some and take some risks. Um, but that doesn't come by just, you know, by playing it safe and whether it's emerging technology or how you think about the roster or how you put together your team, you have to be on the front end. So, and that has some downside, like you you could end up in the other tail, but at the end of the day, if, you know, you're going to win a Super Bowl or, you know, consistently play for championships, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to, you have to take a risk. So actually I'll say one example of that might be, you know, the trade that you made, uh, what was it? 2011? Yeah. With, uh, with Julio. You yeah, know, That's what I think of with that. Like, that was a
3: big one, yeah. right? I mean, I, I remember it, which is probably a perfect segue in what I was going to... Okay. I was smiling because I was listening to you said you were going to quote Howie Roseman <laughs> and we all like quoting Howie. I mean, we have all kinds of great, <laughs> funny Howie quotes and Howie, I know you're going to be listening to this. I was... My, my point-counterpoint on it, and believe me, I am always on the front mm-hmm. end. It's what I believe in. But then you get the point-counterpoint because I've also been quoted from Bill Belichick saying, just do your effing job. <laughs> so... Where where are we with that? I mean, I think it's honestly being mindful as we're evolving to take all of that that you believe in and always keeping in mind, you know, those guys and people in this league that have so much intelligence. I think that's what's fascinating about this league. And you're in a great spot to be able to grow and learn with all of this, uh, you know, as you evolve as a general manager. It's going to be amazing to see how this all plays out. So uh, I think I think that is one of the things that I continue to think about front end of the curve, but always being mindful of when it is time to pull back a little bit, of course. And and you obviously have a very sound mind. So Andrew, for the rising executives out there, if there was one thing that you would have done different Mm -hmm. before you got into the National Football League, Mm -hmm. and that could be studied a certain discipline or X, Y, and Z, or play different sports,
1: what would you have done differently? that's That's a great question. Um, I think for me, probably the 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 one thing that I would have would have done differently is honestly, like I would have been more proactive in finding mentorship. Um, I I feel like I got lucky because I more like stumbled into it. And then, like, as I progressed in my career, it's like, oh, man, I realize how important, influential this was. But we all need a roadmap with people who have been like whether it's in our personal life or our professional life been where we, where we haven't to be a little bit of a guiding light. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's helped me both, um, you know, avoid potholes and landmines and and honestly just like learn and and develop and grow. And I, I would encourage, you know, any individual, just like find, find good mentors who invest in you, not because of like what you can do for them, but because they like, they value you as as an individual because those have been some of the strongest relationships in my life and uh, I know that I wouldn't be here today without that. It's funny you
3: say that because there's a lot of discussion now, you know, high school feels like it's evolving, Mm -hmm. seems so fast, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you want your kids or your nieces and nephews to just be a kid for a while. And yet I think there's a really nice balance there to understand in some of that free time that you can really start to professionally develop. Again, without being you know, not nose to the grindstone, you yeah. still want to make sure that you have balance, which is a whole other topic we, we, we would touch on in a little bit. Yeah. But that is something that I thought a lot about too. When I look back, um, I felt like I had a lot of people around me. It was brought to my attention recently over the last probably three years by Steve Cannon, uh, one of uh, Arthur's CEOs of all of mm-hmm. Arthur Blank's businesses, formerly with, with uh, Mercedes-Benz, and he said, Thomas, and by the way, he's a, he's a West Point grad I have a great deal of respect for him, even though he was not on the football side as a leader and as mm-hmm. a as a team builder, excuse me, like a a organization builder. And one of the things he said was, Very few of you guys in football have sort of professional training yeah. at being leaders. Yeah. And it's so true, right? We've gone through, we've played yep. sport, and we think we, we have a leadership on the field or on the court. But truly yep. digging into some of the the the, the the real fine-tuned elements and nuances of leadership. That's one of the things that I would press not only with my, my son as he's you know, growing older and, 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 and maturing, but I would say that getting into an organization, which is something that I believe. I would, I would share that idea with the owners now. If you can do one thing for your staff, set up a really good you know, teaching program and a leadership program for the youth, the rising execs, the, the mid-level, mid-management people, those
1: people are, are right in a ripe spot to be able to learn. I, I, th- I think you're right because, you know, if you think about how we came up as, as scouts, it's like, all right, right, you're they spend a ton of time on like evaluation and player, but then, okay, you become college director for the first time yeah. or pro director for the first time. It's like, okay, now you're like leading and managing your group there's really not a ton like there's not a ton of support like people don't people don't give you support and you really learn by like it's like baptism by inferno like you just you just you just you figure it out by all right so i to speak yeah. for myself i figured out by making mistakes in that regard And like okay here i need to like solicit help in this area uh, but I, I think you're right like we don't typically in the nfl have a lot of like leadership and management training but that's what those jobs are like that's like th- the job of general manager, generally managing a football club. Yes. And uh, I think it's that's more important than you know some of the hard skills that you develop.
3: It's a, it's a great answer. And I, I could talk forever about it because I do feel so strongly about making sure that you're not just training the marketing group. Mm-hmm. I hate, I'm not, this isn't about a divide between football ops and business, but I don't know how many times that I've seen this over the years where the business group was going and I have a great friends there. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. We've had some great bottles of wine. I, I love it. But it's not just about the marketing group training and going to you know, all over the country and going to symposiums. When the time is right, dig into that football operations group and truly see how you can help them grow and evolve. if you were to be able to share with the rising executives the one thing that you would have done differently while you were in the NFL moving towards that GM seat, what would yeah. it be? The
1: biggest thing I would have done differently is just valued relationships more early in my career. I know that's a very general and broad response, mm-hmm. but I mean it in probably two main ways. So the first time I was managing a group, I really focused on vertical relationships. So... Um, my relationship with my with my boss and then the people who report you know, directly into me. But I didn't focus enough on really what I would say, like managing across and building re- relationships horizontally, because football really is a it really is a consummate team sport. And it's not just on the field. It's all the different groups that you that you that really work together to to build a successful football team. And I think it's something that really actually hurt me that I didn't do well. My first time in Cleveland, I was, you know, the the personnel head, and I was really focused on the scouts and kind of the relationship with with, you know, with my general manager. Mm-hmm. But I didn't pay enough attention early on with the other other relationships that would really be key across the football operation spectrum. And I think that's particularly important when you get into crisis times, like building relationships in non-crisis times, because every team. And every person in the NFL goes through those, like, difficult moments on a yearly basis and certainly during different stretches in their career. And I think that that's something that because I hadn't spent enough time there, it was really difficult to navigate when when things weren't going well. And then the second area I would say is like just every job and role has different constituencies of people where healthy relationships, healthy professional relationships are important. So I think about my position as a general manager. And it's easy to identify your scouting staff, your contract management team, your, your football operations, your support staff, your coaches. But then it's also relationships with ownership. It's relationship with the agent community. It's relationships with the media. It's relationships with the league office, where we do have this like sport ecosystem, so to speak, where everyone is at some level reliant on um, other groups to do their job effectively. And that's probably one of my biggest learnings over the first 18 months in this job that, hey, especially it's not just like your internal relationships, there are a number of external relationships that need, that need to be healthy you know, for you to be effective um, you know, running a team.
3: No, I love that. I mean, we, we talk often about how important the, the people side of it is, right? Mm-hmm. And we can take it outside of your organization. I'm a huge believer in when you are able to secure a really good trade and I'm talking about a win-win because in this league it is a win-win yeah Yeah, every once in a while you're at the opposite ends of the of the world and you you have to it has to be a little bit lopsided but relationships are key to get trades done people do not want to trade with jackasses around the league (laughs) that's the way it is I mean like it or not so Relationships are important. Respect ultimately is really, really important. Understand that everyone has a job to do and everyone's trying to get to that spot. And it's been interesting to watch how that all plays out over the years. And the more trades you do, the more you realize like, wow, I really don't like doing a trade with that guy. I would have a glass of wine with him or a coffee with him any day, but I really don't want to do a deal with him. Andrew, if you were asked by a group of owners to ask you to humbly uh, advise them on how you think, at this juncture, a an organization should build their team builder at the very top group. So the, the GM, head coach, head coach, GM, that whole setup. What do you think right now is the ideal way to do that?
1: Yeah. That's a tough
3: yeah. question. I don't mean ideal, but yeah. what would you suggest yeah. from where you are? So
1: I think, and, and hopefully this, this doesn't feel like I'm dodging the question. So I actually would take a step back from that, and I would advise a group that, all right, the... Let's just take the GM and head coaching job. That job, despite the fact that everybody has the same title, Mm -hmm. that position can look different in all in all 32 teams, right? Like where, you know, in in some organizations, it's like, okay, essentially, the the general manager is the CEO of the company, the head coach reports into them. And some, you know, they, they you know, one's basically a COO, one's a CEO and others like you know, the GM may be more more just more the personnel director with with, you know, contract management, you know, powers as well. So, like, I think it actually starts with saying, OK, when we think of the the general manager, like the head coach, here's what we want that individual to be, be able to do. It's no different than when we scout um, for a particular offense or defensive system. It's like it starts with getting with your coaching staff and saying all right, what are the actual requirements of this position in the system that in the system that we're running? And so I would encourage ownership groups to start there, almost like create a profile, of like okay, this is what we're looking for, and then as they search or, or look for individuals to fit that, like search, like search for those skill sets to put the put the executive group together.
3: So I mean, again, I we all talk about it often, right? We talk about it amongst the general managers, and I'm sure the head coaches talk mm-hmm. about it how important it is to get the right fit. Yeah you know, it's it's a partnership yeah. at the top there with on the football ops right. side at least. And it's so important to be able to be clear and communicative and regular with your communication. I'm a big believer at, at that level to be as candor, yeah. to be as candid as possible and have candor sort of the overriding theme I think is important. Um, sometimes you're gonna rub people, but I think if you have that respect and that, that trust you can go there right and talk about the things that need to be talked about. Where are you with transparency within the organization outside of your relationship with Kevin Stefanski? And I'm talking more your mid management group. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in edifying along the way, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, yes, we all want to trumpet our, our wins, mm-hmm. but I, from, from way back when I first got my GM job with Les Snead and Dave Caldwell in the building with me, all I ever really wanted to do when I did you know, trip up was mm-hmm. bring them in and share with them. I messed up on this. Mm-hmm. I messed up on A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z. That was important for me. Felt like I was giving back as, as much as I wasn't ready to be a yeah. mentor then and I wasn't thinking about legacy. I really wanted to help my guys at the time, you know, proceed and, and, and learn. Where are you? How much do you believe it's important as a general manager? to be transparent and share the good, the bad, the mm-hmm. ugly of what we're trying to do as general managers. Yeah, I,
1: I think it's important to be as transparent as possible because I think number one, you know, if, if you're preaching, Hey, we trust our people, we we'll are bringing you in to contribute. Like it really is a, a two way street. Like your actions really do have to, to mimic, to mimic your words. Um, I think number two, it's what we talked about a little bit earlier. Oftentimes if, if, if people are, taken along for the ride like you get good insight in terms of things that you mm-hmm. could do differently before you make that before you make that mistake yeah. and I think three it's a big thing what you what you hit on having people learn and grow I I'd imagine that we've both had people throughout our career that you know let us ha- let us have more than a peek behind the curtain as they as they were going through like the people that come to mind like Howie Sashi Brown you know Ryan Grigson you know uh, you know Bill and Chris Polian like they were always you know you know real open books and I think everybody Can appreciate yes there are some things that have to stay a little bit closer Mm -hmm. to the vest you know whether they're big strategic decisions for the for the club in the moment or you know things that are maybe uh crises that are of a more personal nature that just you know everyone necessarily can't be looped in on Mm -hmm. but as a whole i think there probably is a little bit too much that we keep behind the curtain as a a sport, that really probably doesn't necessarily need to be there.
3: Well, I think retrospectively, I think you can share a lot. It may not be right in that moment when things are heating up. The one thing that I think is really important as well is, again, I'm coming back to a 34-year-old general manager and a 54-year-old general manager or beyond. Mm -hmm. I would say to some of the younger group as well, respectfully uh, and humbly, I would say, make sure that you do grasp the opportunities. Back in the day, and I'm speaking back when I got started, we were so siloed. That generation, that group, you do your job and you do it to the best of your ability. I still agree with that. I still know, believe that you and we all know that we need to thrive in those areas. That said, there were opportunities that I missed along the way to grow, learn, whether it was what I was referring to earlier on the leadership side, or learning more about the system or whatever it may have been because I thought let me just be the best scout let me be the best college director I could mm-hmm. be and I think now our organizations and people like yourself and you know formerly me are a lot more open to listening and and hearing people say I want to learn yeah. that much more yes. and you're not looked upon oh are you looking for my job <laughs> it's not a paranoia right. thing it's right. I'm going to help you grow yes and I think that's important.
1: I also think the more people that so I, the the um, uh, the way I describe it is, I think everybody should certainly have their major, but they mm-hmm. should have a bunch of minors as well. Because yeah. the more people that can call it speak multiple languages, so to speak, I think the better off you are, like in football operations, because it's easier for for people to see another person's perspective. It's like I used to say, taking it in a pure scouting terms, I used to always say scouts that could see the game like coaches and coaches that could see the game like scouts were invaluable mm. in an organization and i think that that spans beyond just scouting and coaching it could be research and strategy contract management player development logistics and compliance like all of those areas are important i think the more people that have some level of working night working knowledge across those spaces they are huge hugely helpful in an organization and quite honestly like that's the job of the general manager, right? Yes. Like, like, I mean, think yes. about how many areas that you've had to touch throughout your, yeah. throughout your career. And it just made you that much more effective and successful in your time in Atlanta.
3: Great, great answer once again. So let me ask you this, speaking of candor, just yeah. may not be that comfortable <laughs> for you. What truly do you think when you step back differentiated you from the rest of the pack that was here at Cleveland years before now leading up to the point you got the GM job, basically, I am a big believer in that, mm-hmm. you get two people, there's gonna have to be something that separates, right? Mm-hmm. Whether we're interviewing for GM jobs, president's jobs, or, yeah. or jobs in the media or whatever it is, something is gonna have to set you apart. What do you think it was? Yeah,
1: you know, I don't know that I could speak for the organization in that regard. I can say one thing that I was always very deliberate about doing throughout my career is trying to broaden out my expertise. Mm-hmm. Like I came up in scouting, but I realized very early on, really by watching Bill Polian, that the job was about a lot more than that. And I wanted to make sure that I learned enough about all areas of football operation, and got exposure, you know, running different groups or having working knowledge of different groups that, like, I could I could fulfill that role here. I know that's been very important, you know, with you know with the Browns. And then I think the other part of it is, you know, they wanted a leadership group that was, you know, very. Um, you know, forward thinking and, and data oriented. And that's something that was, that was pretty naturally with just like my, my orientation. Um, but those, those were probably the, the, the two things that at least if I reflect back, um, you know, would, would probably be my best guess.
3: I don't believe the owners in today's world are looking for that. What we used to call, gosh, it may be dated. Yeah. Now use like the true foothead. They're not, they're, they're looking for well-rounded. I yeah. continue to tell people all the time, come to the table with the strength that you have. That could be evaluation. It could be cap and contracts, whatever it may be. Always know that you're going to be growing and evolving in areas and, and you know, be, be a sponge, of course, but thrive in those areas and continue to grow in the other areas. And I think people have a really good chance of having a really successful career, you know, as team builders in this league. So if I were to ask you right now, um, over the next five to 10 years, what is something that you are the most encouraged by within the national football league
1: yeah i think and i, I really do think it's actually hiring practices in the nfl because I, I there's obviously uh much more of a focus on um diversity and inclusion and i think you are starting to see not only just a concentrated effort but you're starting to see you know early returns particularly at maybe the lower levels and mid levels of the organization i think there's a lot of progress still to be to be made to be Quite candid, um, but I think it's 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 a good start, and it's something that that's only going to build momentum as we as we go over time.
3: So, Andrew, the league is progressing with with regard to diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. We've made some major strides. We still have quite a ways to go. What is your stance on the league as far as where we are, and more specifically, the Cleveland Browns?
1: Yeah, it's something that I actually applaud the league on for you know many of the initiatives that they've put into place to improve that aspect of hiring, not just at the league office, but across clubs. Because I do think, you know, we talked earlier how how important that, you know, we believe it is in Cleveland. So I think um, really probably over maybe the past two years, like I think you're starting to see it bear bear fruit. Um, Now, where I do think that we can make another step forward, I think when we talk about diversity inclusion, a lot of it is on demographic diversity. So, your race and ethnicity or gender. And that's that's very important. Mm-hmm. But I also think that we can make strides as a league in cognitive diversity, right? Like the different thought patterns that people have mm-hmm. and then diversity of diversity of experience, because like all of that, like all of that informs our perspectives, our decision making. And I think it's it's equally important to, to demographic diversity. So, I, I, you know, no doubt it's a it's a it's a major challenge. Um, but I think focus on all three of those areas, as opposed to just demographic diversity is important.
3: I love that. Uh, just it, it, it makes you think at a lot of different levels, which I think is important. And I, I had talked a little bit earlier about this, and I'll ask you this question. How do you believe your leadership has changed in that area within the building? Being that cognizant of it, has it changed your approach?
1: You know what? i I think... I think my approach probably evolved throughout my career. I think by the time I got here to Cleveland for the second time, like that's something I was very hyper focused on in terms of building building out the football operations group. But I think where it, like I think about my bosses in the NFL. So I had a Hall of Fame executive who was a who was basically a unicorn. He could do everything. Yeah. Um, you know, Ryan Grigson came in. He was you know largely on the time, first time GM, more, former player, traditional scout. I went to Cleveland for the first time. I worked under Sashi Brown, who had a legal background, was a general counsel, very data focused, Harvard law degree, much different. Like not like technically like a you know call it a non, quoted as like a non football guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know John Dorsey, similar background to Ryan, former player, had been an experienced general manager. Um, you know college background. Go to Philly. Same thing as same thing as Sashi. Like how he came up in contract management. You know Florida law degree. Um, you know early in his career thought of as like a non-football guy but the thing is like there were there were major things that i took from every one of those individuals and 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 all of them had had successes to a degree and but they were totally different as like people professionals expected the way they thought about things but it made me realize i was like this is kind of cool like all of them have shaped have shaped my perspective in some way And I was like, it would kind of be cool, like if all of them were in a room together at the same time, like you probably have a you probably have like an unbeatable football team just because like they they had such different um, ways of thinking and and viewpoints that that could help inform um, could help inform a group. So. Well, that, if you can ask Mr. Yeah, Haslam to yeah. give $5 million <laughs> to every contract signed, um, right. you know,
3: but I, no, that's yeah. a, it's a really good yeah. point. Right. It's a great point. How we're, you know, we are so formed by not only who we are right. at the core, but as you get around the really good people, yeah. the ones that really help form you and develop you. I mean, you have to be very proud of that group. Yeah. You look at it and, and humbly proud, of course, where you're like, this is, you were blessed with that. Yeah. Of course, Andrew, Do you have a board of advisors, a personal board of advisors that you deal with regularly?
1: So I I would, so both professionally and personally, yes. I don't know that I've given it necessarily that formal name. So uh, professionally, there's actually a um, a meet uh, every two weeks with basically four other general managers that aren't in football, like, you know, across different sports where we can basically learn um, you know, share expertise and quite honestly, just get a little bit of, a little bit of counsel because it's like, that's not something that you're really able to do, um, with, you know, with your, you know, with your competitors. Um, and then personally, it's, um, it's largely like my family and, uh, probably three of my, three of my college roommates, just people who will speak truth to you in your life that can help you deal with, um, you know, any personal situation, but it's, it's, it's been, it's been really, really healthy for me.
3: I think that's great to be able to do that and to be regular about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we all have grandiose visions when we kick it off and we're in the middle of our world. (laughs) God bless you for staying on it because it's not always easy. And the great thing is you've, you know, you've grouped yourself with some really good people who are willing to do the same. Right. I think, I think that's, that's a, that's a great lead in for a lot of people. So we're into, we're getting into the summer right now and you know, I'm a big believer in, again, professional development, always working to grow. Not only my, not only mind but body and soul as mm-hmm. well are you reading anything or studying anything right now will you be during the off season during the summertime where will you be focused in that yeah world?
1: so it's, it's probably two areas number one is is recharging because i think i think rest is a is a is a huge thing um but number two i'm actually in terms of professor, i'm a big podcast guy um and so probably the two major ones that i've been listening to are the the andy stanley leadership podcast and the craig rochelle leadership podcast and um, I, even, you know, I even do that throughout the year where I'll listen to a, an episode on my drive mm-hmm. to work or my drive away from work. And it's been, been really helpful in terms of the insights. And I, I know I said two, but I'm going to give you a third. The summer is also when I'll usually have some time to travel and visit, whether it's different organizations or, or different teams. Um, so we'll definitely plan out a few trips in that regard.
3: Well, you're, you're so rounded and obviously so intelligent. And it, it's interesting the other day, yesterday, we were talking about trying to set this all up and you know the, just trying to navigate through all is not easy i remember I, I i riffed off talking about uh other businesses the biking industry and i could tell very quickly you went yeah okay well i'll talk to you later and i realized you're not you're not interested in any of them you're interested in recharging right now and i know you're interested in a lot of really cool things but it, it reminded me like thomas what are you doing talking about another business here this dude just got finished with putting together a football team it's time for him to relax so I'm going to footnote the, uh, the Tim Ferriss question. We all know Tim Ferriss. I mean, mm-hmm. lifestyle guru. And, and you know, I, I think about this often because in the last three to five years, is there any philosophy, approach, adjustment that you've made to your life that has significantly changed the, the quality of your life? Yeah,
1: it's a focus on mental health. I, I uh, did not take my mental health seriously enough in my 20s. Where, you know, part of it was just like it was not something that I ever really talked about or dealt with with growing up, and I think also particularly in football, you think about just like gutting gutting through everything, and it wasn't until um, I absolutely had to that I got the support and took the time to really dive into my dive into my mental health, and I wish I had done it sooner because. You know, it would have created less stress during certain periods of my life with my family or at work and and stuff like that. Um, But that if I could give one piece of personal advice, like just no different than your, your physical health, make sure that your mental health is a priority.
3: Well, that mental health idea, I look back on it now and people ask me, what were the tough things that you would have never wanted back? And now that you're out of this right now. I've mentioned before to me, it wasn't about the big moves. It wasn't about asking Mr. Blank, can we have hundreds of millions of dollars for this player? It wasn't about evaluating a player. I wasn't concerned about that. And I say that humbly enough, but that was my my world. It wasn't it had much more to do with the 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 incessant tug on my time, the 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 time element and wanting to make sure that I still had balance to spend with my family. And to spend with people within the organization. Yeah. It, it it got complicated at times and you get a little resentful and you realize like, no, that's what you signed up for. It's it's not easy, of course. And if you can get to a point at 34 and move through, you know, through your career and, and evolve like you are going to evolve with, with that understanding, uh, I think I think the the world is yours for sure. Very last question. Very last question. I asked this to everyone. Okay if there were to be one question that you feared I was gonna ask you, and parens, you don't have to answer that question, <laughs> what would it be?
1: Oh boy, one question. I'll be honest, Thomas, I really didn't have a ton of fear that you were, like, That's I, I, what have, I, I, have, hear. I have a ton of trust Love in that. you. Yeah. I, and that's an honest to goodness answer. That's not even a uh, a dodge question. One that no point throughout this was I uh, was I afraid of anything.
3: Well, look, there's a lot of questions <laughs> to ask at a lot of different levels in the NFL, and and appreciate you being here. Yeah. I I I mean, our discussion right here was fantastic at so many levels and it had so much depth. So I really appreciate it. You spending the time on your wife's birthday. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, please please thank her for me and uh, <laughs> God bless you, man. Well, thank you so tra- much. Safe travel. Thank Ryan. you. Thank Ryan. you. No. Awesome. Okay, as you guys can clearly see, it's just oozing out of the interview, the intelligence of Andrew Barry. And he's just such a human being that, you know, again, you pull for him. He's coming out of a really, really tough city, high expectations in Cleveland. It's like Philadelphia fr- through and through. This this area in Cleveland, they want a winner badly, and they're strongly believing that Andrew Barry can bring him the winner. So we really appreciate the time with Andrew. Of course, we're heading south now to get all the way down into Phoenix, meeting up with a very, very close friend of mine, Steve Kime. Great deal of respect for him. He's, you could juxtaposition Steve Kime and Andrew Barry. Very different personalities, um, but they both, to me, are winners in this league. Check it out.
1: You have been listening to The GM Journey with Thomas Dimitrov. Continue to follow Thomas as he interviews GMs from your favorite NFL teams. The GM Journey has been produced by Alan Kastenbaum, Thomas Dimitrov, and Octagon Entertainment. Don't forget to download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. The GM Journey is distributed by The 8 Side Network.